welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and this is the Big Ten Tournament, New York City special episode extravaganza, whatever you want to call it. I don't really have a title for it, but this is the uh, preview to the Big Ten Tournament being out east in New York City this week, and um, it's less of a preview of the actual games themselves and more of kind of a New York City tribute or uh, you know special insight into what makes uh, basketball at Madison Square Garden and basketball on the East Coast so uh, unique and special. So to do that, I brought in uh, two guests who have had extensive experience either playing or coaching out East. Uh, one of them, the first guest is Steve Lavin. You know him from his days at UCLA, and he was an assistant coach at Purdue, and he's been all over ESPN, and and now these days he is an analyst for Fox Sports 1, so a uh, very recognizable name in college basketball, and he was the coach also at St. John's for a number of years, so his home arena literally was Madison Square Garden, and he has coached many games in that building, knows the city, knows the style of basketball, and uh, knows the postseason tournaments in that building as well very well, so Got him on the show to talk about what uh, it means to play in Madison Square Garden and what it means to be able to coach there and soak in games there. And uh, we talked some Big Ten hoops as well, including his time at Purdue and uh, the similarities between those teams. When one of his players was actually Matt Painter, uh, the current Purdue head coach, and uh, we kind of compared those teams to his teams today. So it was a great discussion with Steve Lavin. My second guest is... Scooney Penn, um, you may know him as the 1999 Big Ten Player of the Year. He also is a current uh, assistant coach under Chris Holtman, the first year with the Ohio State program as a, uh, a coach. He's the director of player development for them, and he also, before playing at Ohio State, played at Boston College, and he was the 1997 Big East MVP, Big East Tournament MVP. So he has uh, extensive experience at Madison Square Garden as well. And he was also born in Yonkers, New York. So uh, strong East Coast ties with Scooney as well as Steve Lavin. And uh, kind of did a similar thing with Scooney. We talked a little bit of Ohio State, but also got just kind of the sense of uh, what it's like to play an MSG experience that stage and uh, what makes it so special. So a couple of great perspectives from those two. And then uh, my third interview tonight is with a statistician named uh, Eric Haslam. Eric has his own website um, that kind of has some unique formulas and insight and algorithms into um, the college basketball game itself. So I want to get him on to get some hard analysis of the upcoming bubble scenarios, who he thinks is in good shape heading into the Big Ten tournament and beyond. And um, it was interesting also just to learn about his methods that he uses because they are unique and different from some of the uh, methods that we know about and that we always see reference like RPI, Ken Palm, and uh, some of those more mainstream uh, ways of, of kind of digging into the numbers behind college basketball. So Eric Haslam had some good stuff as well. So it's a special three-guest episode today. And um, by the time this is released, the Big Ten Tournament will be a few hours from beginning, maybe 24 hours or so um, from getting underway. But... Um, yeah, it's here. I mean, we've, we've talked about it all for years, it seems like, since they announced that the tournament would be out in New York City, and 
the buildup has been big and I know there's strong opinions on both sides, whether you like it or not, it's in New York City, but it is here. So I wanted to uh, put together a, a special episode to preview the Big Ten tournament in Madison Square Garden. So we'll get right to it and I'll shut up and get to the interviews in just a moment. First, just some reminders before we uh, before we dive in, please continue to rate, subscribe, and like the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Podbean, uh, leave reviews if you can, if you like the show. And um, also, if you can't get enough Big Ten podcast content, uh, my guy Andy Katz has been doing a podcast all season for us. It's called the Big Ten Basketball Podcast, the B1G Basketball Podcast, and that is also available where podcasts are found. So definitely subscribe to that because he's got the deepest Rolodex in the game and uh, has been getting some phenomenal guests all year. He'll also be on NYC this week and uh, providing some digital and TV coverage. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for Andy, myself, and the whole BTN team out in NYC at MSG this week. All right, so one final reminder before we get to the interviews. First off, please continue. Um, if you have been already, if not, use the coupon code on the btn.com online score, store to take 10% off your order. And that coupon code is TAKE10, capital T-A-K-E, the number one and zero. And use that before you check out after you buy whatever BTN swag, um, your Big Ten Tournament Champions gear that you can find on there whatever you got use that coupon code and you can get 10 percent off your order t-a-k-e the number one and zero all right so with that all out of the way let's get into this special new york city big 10 tournament edition of the take 10 podcast and we'll lead it off with none other than steve lavin I'm very pleased to be joined by Fox Sports 1 college basketball analyst. He's also a former assistant coach at Purdue, former head coach at both UCLA and St. John's. It is Steve Lavin. Coach Lav, thanks so much for taking the time. Great to be with you, Alex. All right, Coach Will, it's great to have you on. And uh, you're really a perfect guest for this time of year because not only are you a uh, college hoops analyst, but as you, you know, the Big Ten tournament will be coming up at Madison Square Garden starting upcoming week in New York City. That was your home arena for a number of years with St. John's, so I'd imagine you're quite familiar with the uh, the Mecca, as they call it. Yeah, I think it'll be a joy for Big Ten fans to come to New York and experience basketball at the highest level as they celebrate the Big Ten Conference and the special year they've had in New York City, in the Big Apple. And um, when there isn't hoops, going on, uh, there's so much to do in terms of uh, seeing a musical or play, uh, great restaurants, uh, just the energy and the aspects that make New York what it is uh, will be great for Big Ten fans and then also the venue of Madison Square Garden, the greatest stage there is when it comes to being able to perform at a high level. So uh, really pleased that the Big Ten will have this opportunity and I think fans will appreciate it. Absolutely. And you've obviously coached many games in that building, both as your home arena and in the Big East tournament. So do you have a favorite memory or two from coaching in that building? Well, I think you go back to my assistant coaching years, the first time coming into the garden as an assistant at UCLA and just being in awe uh, when you look up 
into the rafters and you see, you know, Bill Bradley's jersey or Red Holtzman or all the other great, you know, New York Knicks players and uh, what basketball means when it comes to New York City. And then to come into the garden as a head coach uh, with UCLA uh, in some of the events in the non-conference uh, part of our schedule was, was obviously special. Uh, just that palpable kind of energy, uh, knowing that uh, you're performing in a place uh, where so many great teams and players uh, and so many great games uh, were played. And then to go in as a broadcaster, sit courtside and, and call basketball for ABC and ESPN, uh, different perspective but the same sense of appreciation or gratitude. And more recently, uh, coming in to the Garden as the head coach of St. John's, uh, the Johnny's home court, and to experience that. So experience in Madison Square Garden uh, and New York City and all those different kind of perspectives. And now with Fox Sports, uh, once again, as an analyst. Uh, so it's a special place. And um, again, just tradition, history, and New York City fans, uh, basketball fans, are very intelligent and they appreciate good basketball, uh, whether it's tenacious defense or teamwork on offense, making the extra pass, uh, backdoor cut. Um, they uh, really appreciate, um, you know, intelligent, cohesive basketball. And uh, so from that standpoint as well, I think the Big Ten coming in uh, to New York and playing their winning brand of basketball uh, will make New York fans appreciate uh, the experience. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the fans because you know that city very well. You know basketball in that city and how it's received. How do you think those fans and, and just kind of the city in general in general will uh, embrace the Big Ten tournament coming there? Oh, it's going to be fantastic because you've got the great universities of the Big Ten, uh, all their alumni that uh, are throughout the world, uh, but there's a number of alumni that are in the Northeast, and those that don't live in the Northeast travel, and those that aren't able to travel uh, will be turning on the TV somewhere uh, to watch this Big Ten tournament uh, in Madison Square Garden. So I give Jim Delaney credit uh, for having the vision, uh, not only to begin to expand the footprint of the Big Ten uh, by adding a Rutgers, a Penn State, and a Maryland, but then to also move the tournament uh, to New York City so that fans in this part of the country uh, can really enjoy and watch, uh, again, the winning brand of basketball uh, that the Big Ten plays. And this is a year where there's a number of compelling stories, and that's what Broadway is all about. Uh, in terms of you look at Purdue with all their seniors and the run they've had and what they represent, which is a class, a team uh, approach in terms of uh, the way they play. And then you've got Michigan State and uh, their, op their opportunity to win a national title because I think they're uh, poised and positioned when you look at their firepower and their approach both offensively and defensively and uh, they're kind of sprinting to the finish line here of the regular season. The best numbers uh, in the history of Michigan State 
uh, when you look at where they are in terms of winning percentage at this stage of the season, uh, they're the best in the history of that school. You go back to Pete Newell, who coached at Michigan State, and John Bennington, who coached at Michigan State, and then Judd Heathcote with his national championship teams, and Magic Johnson and Tom Izzo, a disciple of Judd Heathcote, uh, who's had a Hall of Fame career. And for this particular Spartan team to be the best in the history of that university speaks volumes and is a strong indicator uh, that they're poised and positioned to win a national title. So, uh, And that's before you even get to a number of other interesting stories within that league. Uh, Ohio State with a great turnaround under Chris Holtman and Nebraska being the surprise right there with Ohio State in terms of the turnaround from a year ago. Uh, Tim Miles, in my view, and Chris Holtman are the two leaders for Big Ten Coach of the Year. So there's no doubt uh, the Big Ten coming to the Garden uh, is great timing uh, for New York City basketball fans. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up some of those storylines uh, heading into the tournament as we as we get ready for it. And I'm going to ask for a couple predictions here in a second, but I just want to get to one more East Coast-branded question uh, <clears throat> for for you before we move on. So I asked Scooney Penn the same question uh for for this podcast as well and obviously him being a east coast player and you recruiting east coast players and recruiting that city you kind of became familiar with the the dna of that area the basketball dna so what is a east coast brand of basketball what does that mean to you because i don't think if i was asked before talking to you guys that i could describe it but he did a good job of describing it and i'm sure you can as well i'd say toughness tenaciousness uh would be two of the ingredients or the qualities when you think of East Coast basketball. Um, and again, there's organized basketball in terms of the history of the college game with the Claire Bees, the Nat Holmans, uh, the Joe Lapcheks, the Frank McGuire's, the Louis Carnesecas in the history of college basketball in New York. Great tradition. And then there's the NBA when you look at a Red Holzman, the great. Uh, New York Knickerbocker teams uh, with Frazier and Bradley and DeBusher and Reed and uh, Phil Jackson, for that matter, who played a role on uh, championship teams with Red Holzman. Uh, and their brand of basketball was the extra pass and tough defense, and a give-and-go, uh, a nice backdoor cut that uh, would develop because of the timing and the pre- precision uh, in a two-man game. And uh, players working in tandem like a dance uh, to create a good shot. Uh, but then there's also the playground game in terms of a little tougher because you're dealing with the elements of the wind and uh, taking it to the hoop. And if you want to stay on the court and pick up basketball, uh, you've got to win games. And so, uh, again, back to the grittiness, the toughness, uh, but also a flair. I think uh, people in New York appreciate performance, and that's what Madison Square Garden is all about, aside from sport uh, entertainers that have performed in Madison Square Garden, from an Elvis Presley to a Billy Joel to a Marilyn Monroe singing Happy Birthday to JFK uh, back in the day, or Owley and Frazier duking it out. Um, even way back, you got to go to boxers like Joe Lewis uh, or Jack Dempsey or Rocky Marciano. So Madison Square Garden in New York City uh, as good as it gets, like the Roman Colosseum, but for our country when it comes to uh, the honor of performing uh, on such a grand stage. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. But I'd say New York basketball uh, is toughness, 
tenaciousness, defense, uh, but also working together in a cohesive manner. All right, very well said, Coach. Um, we'll get back to some Big Ten-specific talk now. So from what you've seen from the Big Ten this season, I know you call a lot of Pac-12 games, but you've called Big Ten games as well. Which team do you think, or maybe a couple teams, which teams are best equipped to make a, a run this upcoming week here in the Big Ten tournament? Well, Michigan State, because of their depth, uh, the versatility, they are young, but that can be a positive because, you know, freshmen by this time of the year, sophomores, sophomores by this time of the year, when it comes to being tested and dealing with different environments and hostile, uh, you know, road games have uh, developed or matured to a point uh, where they're playing a year out from where their actual class is. So sophomores are like juniors. Juniors are playing like seniors. And Tom Izzo's depth and the versatility that he has uh, puts them in position as a clear favorite. Uh, they shoot the ball as well as any of Tom Izzo's teams at Michigan State. They're at 40 or above and have been right in that range uh, all year uh, from long distance. And that creates the bigs, Miles Bridges and uh, Jaron Jackson. Uh, they now have more time and space to operate and teams have to pick their poison. If they're going to double down low, uh, they can get the ball back out of double teams and around the horn uh, for three-pointers or for drive and kick opportunities uh, based off people closing out off that ball movement and uh, Michigan State's ability on the perimeter of guards to be able to knock down shots or put it on the deck to get to the mid-range or create for others. So I'd say Michigan State is best positioned, and they're peaking. I mean, they're going in to the postseason in a dead sprint uh, on a streak with the best record in the history of the school at this stage of the season, and coached by someone uh, who's a Mariano Rivera, a closer, when it comes to March, a maestro, uh, a jockey that knows how to finish uh, and get teams to the Final Four and, and perform uh, a peak performance level uh, to to bring out the best in teams at this stage of the year. So Sparty's going to be tough to beat, but I'd say Purdue is right there uh, for the obvious reasons with their experience and a motivated group of seniors that didn't get the regular season title they had aspired to, uh, but they won the Big Ten regular season last year, and now they want to get the Big Ten conference title uh, in the postseason this year. Yeah, uh, Sparty's my pick as well. Um, I mean, they've won 12 in a row and uh, outright Big Ten champs. But Purdue getting Vincent Edwards back is going to be big. I mean, we saw today against Minnesota, we're taping this Sunday, we saw against Minnesota how they uh, look kind of like their old selves after struggling for a bit. And I wanted to expand on Purdue a little bit, not necessarily this year's team, but your history there, because you were an assistant under Gene Cady at Purdue. And if I'm not mistaken, you actually coached current head coach Matt Painter um, back in the day. Is that right? Yes, Matt Painter was at Purdue when I was an assistant coach uh, for Coach Katie. And you could tell from the beginning uh, that he had the gift. He had an interest. He was curious uh, about the game of basketball from a strategic standpoint. Um, so it wasn't just a player's perspective. While he was playing, uh, he asked the type of questions that indicated uh, he would someday make a great coach. And so that's one of the reasons um, that Matt has done so well at Purdue. He's a natural fit. He understands the culture. He's a disciple of Gene Cady. Uh, he knows the Big Ten Conference. He grew up in Indiana uh, as a basketball 
fanatic, um, and he's worked at his craft, and he's continued to refine and improve uh, as a teacher and coach. And as a result, uh, he's as good as it gets, one of the best in the business, and um, so pleased uh, that he's doing so well. So this Purdue team, um, their losses, the two straight in Atlantis early in the year um, before blowing out Arizona down there, um, and then more recently their three losses, um, they were all close losses. They were in every game in Big Ten Conference, which is a compliment. No one blew them out. It wasn't like they collapsed. Uh, they could have been undefeated in Big Ten play this year, but I think they improved off of their losses, which is an indication of a good coach uh, taking a report card and watching game film and getting back on the floor and doing the drill work to rectify or correct some of the deficiencies so you're a better team moving forward. And Tom Izzo uh, is the same. They had some tough losses early in conference. They got better, and they're streaking to the finish line. Purdue had some early losses in non-conference and then went on a streak, and then they've had some losses late here in the second half, the back nine of conference play, and now they're going on another streak. And to me, that's a compliment um, to the head coaches and their ability to make the adjustments uh, so their teams are better positioned to win come conference tournament play as well as uh, the NCAA tournament where you want to play your best. Yeah, so Purdue, I know you coached there uh, quite a while ago. It was, it was the early 90s. But Purdue's a a brand of basketball. They play a brand of basketball that I think doesn't change that much over time. You know, they're they're known sure. for tough defense and they grind it out. And they have a, uh, when their teams are successful, they usually have a, a lot of veteran players like they they do this year. So, how do these modern Purdue teams that have had so much success these last couple seasons resemble or, or stack up to the teams you coached when you were in West Lafayette? Well, for starters, it's a great point uh, that you make there at the outset because. Continuity, when you look at the run that Judd Heathcote had and then passing the baton to Tom Izzo, uh, there hasn't been a dramatic change in terms of uh, an old-fashioned approach. And yet, uh, Izzo and Painter uh, have evolved and adapted, but really it's grounded in old-school values and a ABCs or 1-2-3s uh, kind of a fundamental approach, no nonsense to the way in which they get their teams to perform at a high level. Uh, and that's what you need out of leadership. It, it, back to, I look at the Dodgers, you know, for so many years in baseball, you had Walter Alston and Tom Lasorda, really two, two managers of the Dodgers, and, and really I think one ownership at that point with the O'Malley's, and it might have been 50 years. We go to the Pittsburgh Steelers, right, with the Rooney's. And, uh, you know, not a lot of change in terms of coaches, but there was a consistent approach and philosophy. And when you look at Purdue, whether it's Steve Reed uh, in the early 80s as a point guard with Boilermaker teams that overachieved and won Big Ten championships, uh, or the Everett Stevens, Troy Lewis, Todd Mitchell group uh, that won back-to-back Big Ten titles, uh, under Gene Cady as well. And then there was uh, the big dog years with Conzo and Porter Roberts and um, Glenn Robinson and uh, Einstein back and, and company. And Matt Painter and Matt Waddell were part of those 
uh, dominant teams. And then more recently, Robbie Hummel, uh, Etwan Moore, Jawan Johnson, uh, and their great success and, and run that they had. And then we've got this current version. And so you're looking at, you know, the 1980s uh, through close to the 2018. We're not too far from 2020. So 40 years and a consistent brand of hard-nosed man-to-man defense and working in a manner offensively to get great shots, uh, whether it's in transition uh, or it's in the half court. And uh, so those values are virtues uh, that were important to Coach Katie uh, and are important to Matt Painter is what's allowed Purdue to deliver at a very high level. And I'm not even going to get started going way back to Piggy Lambert and all the great coaches in between, John Wooden playing at Purdue as a three-time All-American from 1928 to 32 uh, for the Boilermakers. But uh, Purdue's tradition is good as it gets, and it's special and it's unique, and it's great that this group of seniors uh, are going out in the fashion they deserve because Purdue had some tough years, as did Coach Katie, who had some tough years. Uh, but at the end of the day, their approach and the way in which Coach Katie and Coach Painter teach allow teams to rally and come back and, and ultimately have the success they deserve. And so it's it's a good thing for the Big Ten, and it's great for Purdue. All right, well, you've made some great uh, historical references and, and some great analogies, and I'm sure I could go for hours on this podcast, you know, talking sports with you, but i I got to wrap it up here soon, so I do have one more question before I let you go, Coach, and it's not sports-related, but it is very important to me. So as uh, we get ready for the tournament here in New York, or, uh, out in New York City coming up, I got to ask you, as someone who knows the city well, what are some restaurants or uh, establishments that fans or, or say, uh, podcasters need to check out uh, while in New York City? Well, Carbone in the village is special. Uh, that's a unique experience. Italian restaurant, Carbone, C A R B O N E, really unique and uh, tremendous food and ambiance and, and the experience. It's almost like you're stepping back in time and do a Martin Scorsese film or a Fellini film or uh, Godfather uh, uh, comes to mind as well. So that's uh, a great experience. But Blue Ribbon is an outstanding restaurant. There's Blue Ribbon Bakery. There's Blue Ribbon Sushi. Uh, there's a number of Blue Ribbon restaurants. Uh, but the Blue Ribbon I'll butcher the name, but uh, Brasserie or some fancy name, Brasserie, Brasserie. Uh, they are they're open till 4 a.m. and they've got great uh, fried chicken, mashed potatoes. Uh, they serve late, but it's an excellent menu, a good wine list. So for uh, the late night owls um, that are up the witching hour, I'd say Blue Ribbon on Sullivan Street in Soho. Uh, is a is a great haunt uh, to gather and and uh, celebrate basketball in, in uh, New York City uh, late night style or early morning for that matter style. All right, when I go back and listen to this, I'm definitely going to write all those places down and uh, try as many as I can, and I'm sure try a few more that uh, that you didn't mention. But Coach Lavin, you've been very generous generous with your time today, and I appreciate the insight, the knowledge, and uh, appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to join me. And I hope to have you on again soon. It was a pleasure, Alex. Let's do it in a couple weeks. Sounds good to me, Coach.
All right. Thanks a lot, Steve, for joining me. Um, Coach Lavin was a great guest to talk to. He was, as you know, very insightful. He's had a long career in, in basketball, both as a coach and, and an uh, analyst. And he was uh, very helpful and really expressed interest in coming on again soon. So hopefully we can make that happen. Uh, great talking to him and getting to know him a little bit. All right. Next guest is shorter interview, but it's with uh, Scooney Penn. I caught up with him about a week ago before an Ohio State practice. So some of the scenarios weren't known yet, so we didn't get too deep into the actual basketball talk, but Scooney had some really good stuff as well, and you can hear his uh, thick Boston East Coast accent in the interview, which I which I love because, you know, that's just, first of all, I love Boston accents for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, it, it's, it's funny to hear a Big Ten coach, you know, talking in that uh, East Coast draw, not even a draw, I guess, it's more Southern, but whatever. You'll hear it when we get to it, and I'll, uh, I'll be quiet, so you can get to it. It's Take 10 Podcast Interview with Ohio State's Scooney Penn. I'm very pleased to be joined by the first-year Director of Player Development for the Ohio State Buckeyes. He's also the 1999 Big Ten Player of the Year out of Ohio State. It is Scooney Penn. Scooney, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. For sure. Uh, first of all, congratulations on all the success for the Buckeyes so far this year. Did you envision when you took the job under Chris Holtman that the season would unfold like this? Not this season. I figured at some point. Um, but hey, I know we have exceeded expectations so far, but um, that's a testament to our guys. They bought in. Uh, they put all the work in. They've done a great job paying attention to details. Uh, I'm just happy for our guys because – you know, they should get all the credit because, you know, they, they put the work in and they've gone out there and played very well so far. So you thought when you took the job that it, it was maybe going to be more of a rebuilding year like, like many people expected? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, but a rebuilding year where guys will get better and we'll start to, you know, see what our future looks like here at the university. Uh, but when you have, you know, seniors like Jay Sean Tate, you know, redshirt, you know, senior and Kata Bates and Cam Williams and guys have been in the program – you have a chance. You know, we have some good leaders in Jay Sean and, and Kata, and our younger guys have followed their lead, and it helped with our success. So when did it hit you that this team was a Big Ten title contender caliber of a team? Um, I don't know. I'll probably have to say when I look back, and we were about 6-0 or 7-0 in the Big Ten, then you start to look at it, and you, and you start putting the pieces together with games saying you may have a chance. Um, never wanted to get ahead of ourselves and jump the gun. You know, our motto has been all year, take it one day at a time, you know, one practice at a time. We weren't even looking ahead of different games, just that day at hand, just get better that day. Um, so I'm sure, you know, anyone in our program would tell you the same thing. We were not looking that far ahead. But when you, you know, we start getting to about six, seven, eight, you know, in the Big Ten, you know, before that, you start thinking, you know, maybe we have a chance here. So I know you're very connected to Columbus, but how deep are your, your East Coast roots, you know, growing up out there in Massachusetts? Uh, they're very deep. I still have the accent, so people know <laughs> that I'm from the East Coast. Uh, they're, they're deep, and that's part of the reason why, you know, coming from Boston, I went to B.C. coming out of high school. Um, I grew up a really big fan of the Big East as a kid watching Syracuse and Sherman Douglas and Derek Coleman and the great Georgetown teams and St. John's teams. And, 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 and the big thing was playing in the garden. You watch the Big East tournament. We played in the Garden, and it's like who wouldn't want to play in the basketball mecca? That was like a big draw. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Garden. So we'll get to that in a minute. 
Um, but were, were you born uh, in New York before growing up in Boston? Yeah, I was. I was. I was born in New York. Um, I was born in Yonkers, New York. And then when I was little, my mom moved uh, to Mass, you know, you know, for a job. So uh, we had to uproot and move up there, um, which wasn't bad. But a lot of my family remains in New York. And uh, it's good because every time I go back there, I get a chance to hang out with my cousins. Um, a lot of my family is still there. Yeah, so I was going to ask, I mean, I want to tell you about the New York-Boston rivalry. Do you have that same kind of uh, animosity for New York or, or since you were born there? Is yes. it not like that? No, it's like that. It okay. Because part of my family is New Yorkers. You know, they they still root for New York teams. But then my generation, you know, my siblings and all, we all grew up in the Boston area. So we're in the Boston. So it's kind of split in half. You know, for the longest, we was the butt of the jokes, you know, with the whole Yankees thing and yeah, but then, you know, the Patriots got that Super Bowl and then the Red Sox started winning and the Bruins and the Celtics, you know. So we always had the Celtics to hang over their heads. But then, you know, when everyone else started chipping in, it made conversations a lot more favorable for us on the Boston side. Yeah, it's been a pretty good couple of decades for you guys out there. Um, being a Midwest guy like myself, I've always kind of heard about this East Coast brand of basketball. But I don't think I could, like, describe it if I had to. So you played at BC, like you mentioned, before mm-hmm. transferring to Ohio State. Can you describe to me what an East Coast brand of basketball is all about? Yeah, it's a little different. It, it, it's, 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 you know, you most of the time you grew up in a concrete jungle out on the playground. It's a tough brand of basketball. If you like being a guard from the East Coast or play from the East Coast, you had to have that grit and that toughness about you. And people knew it. You know, you knew when you were going to face, you know, East Coast guys, whether it be from Boston, you know, New York, you know, Philly, you know, Jersey. We were going to bring a certain edge um, to us. And then as far as guards, it was always, you know, good ball handlers real quick with it and and, and just attack the the paint a lot. Um, It was interesting because I know to this day, if I watch certain guys play, I can always tell, you know, the East Coast guy, it's still a little special of uh, just the style of play that that guys from the East Coast have. That is interesting. And you you got some uh, battle scars to this day from those playgrounds? Oh, I do. I still have scars all over my body from it. But, um, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I know it isn't um, as popular to play on the playground anymore. But, um, you know, that's where we grew up. That's where you got your stripes from. That's where you got your respect from. And uh, you carry it, you know, on your shoulders no matter where you went. All right, Scooney, this is kind of a broad question, but how do you expect the Big Ten tournament coming up here to fit in New York City as a whole? I think it will fit in really well just because the Big Ten following is so good. Um, You know, our fan base throughout the conference is the best in the country every single year, uh, the best attendance. Uh, And I think people want to take a trip to New York. And I think, you know, just thinking of Ohio State alone, you know, we have a lot of alumni in New York and the East Coast, just like, you know, I'm sure Indiana does. Um, And then, you know, obviously with Rutgers being there and then being the conference now, I think it would have fared pretty pretty well. You know, people in New York City on the East Coast, they love basketball. And I think Big Ten brings a different brand of basketball. And and, and it's something I think they would like to watch. Yeah, and you guys, uh, Ohio State, played in Madison Square Garden already once Mm -hmm. this year in that Super Saturday game back in January. Can you describe the protocol of the whole experience of the game, really playing there, like with the city, the atmosphere, and all that, as opposed to just playing a regular game? Yeah, it, it's it's on another level. Um, I don't think we experienced it too much. The game we played there this year, it was an early day game. Uh, it, you get more of a feel when you play in the Big Ten tournament there. Uh, but me playing there many times, it's just a different feeling. 
you know the history there. You look at the jerseys that are in the building. And, and I've always described Madison Square Garden as a stage. You know, you think about all the unbelievable concerts that were there. And people always talk about the garden. So for me, playing the garden was big. And I think our guys felt it when they played there. And they're looking forward to getting back there playing in the Big Ten tournament this season. So you think it's a beneficial beneficial type thing? Like the stage doesn't get too big. It's more something that can boost your game if you let it. Yeah, definitely boost your game. You know, something like this is where your players come to play. Like this is where, you know, your, your, your stars, your best players, this is where you step up when you step on that floor. If you notice, whenever LeBron James plays in the guard, he tries to play his best games. Jordan plays his best games. Everyone, even guys in the NBA, it's something about going to the guard when they play against the Knicks is when they want to have their best games, the biggest stage, courtside, you have stars and, you know, all the biggest movie stars and actors and things like that. They are there. It's just a different feeling. So when you step on that floor, that parquet in, the, in, in, in Mass Square Garden, the stars need to start, need to shine. What was your best moment as a player playing in MSG? Oh, I won the MVP of the big, uh, the biggest tournament. Um, my sophomore year, we won the biggest tournament regular season. I mean, we won the regular season, and then we won the biggest tournament. We beat Villanova, and I was MVP um, that year. So. You know, having a chance to win that tournament and, and, and become an MVP, that was a huge moment. Um, I loved it. But also, I had a big moment when we played my senior year. We played St. John's in the Garden, and we had a tremendous comeback down 10 with, I don't know, under a minute. We came back and we won. And I had a big block shot at the end. So I've had some really good moments, um, you know, on that parquet. Uh, and I, I enjoy going back there every chance I get all right, so you've had some of that MSG glory. Uh, Scooney, last question for you before I let you go. If I told you 10 years ago as a, as a player overseas or even 20 years ago as a player at uh, BC that you'd be on Ohio State staff in 2018 coaching in the Big Ten tournament in New York City, what would you say? There's a chance because I've seen coaching in my future. Uh, I think I'm built for it. Maybe you didn't know where, but uh, if you asked me was I going to be coaching, I probably would have told you. In some aspect, yes. All right, sounds good. Well, Scooney, I hope you guys, uh, for your guys' sake, get a long stay in New York City uh, coming up, and uh, wish you best of luck down the stretch of this uh, special season you guys are having. All right, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, thanks once again to Scooney Penn for joining me. Really good dude. Excited to uh, see how he progresses on Chris Holtman's staff, and it sounds like you know he's, he's going to be uh, – got to keep an eye on it as other jobs open up you know i mean not saying that he's gonna he's gonna bolt or anything like that but he's seems like a uh, can't miss coaching prospect as we move along here and um wouldn't be surprised to see uh, other programs have him on their wish list but scooney's a uh a buckeye through and through and a, and a really good guy to talk to so that was fun and uh we'll get to my final guest now on this New York City Big Ten Tournament themed episode of the podcast and as I mentioned at the top of the show it's Eric Haslam. Eric is a uh, numbers guy a numbers guru. He's created his own website and formulas and algorithms to determine uh, college basketball superiority I guess. He, he, he forecasts games. He uses predictive analysis analyses to uh, evaluate college hoops and some fascinating stuff and um, I try my best to understand, you know, some of the uh, more complex uh, 
parts of his website, and he does a really good job of explaining how it works for uh, the simple man like myself, a simple person who, you know, maybe isn't the the best at uh, the reading the numbers, but um, his site definitely is able to be uh, understood by the average fan, and I think that's that's important as, as kind of these analytics keep continuing to bleed into how we consume the game. So he comes on and he has some good insight into what some certain Big Ten bubble teams need to do to make the tournament, especially in Nebraska. And he applies his methods to uh, predict, you know, who he thinks is going to have some success in not only the Big Ten tournament, but in March Madness as well. So I will get right to it now. The third interview of this episode it is... Eric Haslam of HaslamMetrics.com. I'm very pleased to be joined by Eric Haslam. He's the founder of HaslamMetrics.com, which is a basketball analytics website that evaluates college basketball, um, not only on past performance, but forecast future outcomes. So you can follow him on Twitter at HaslamMetrics. Definitely check out HaslamMetrics.com. And uh, that's HaslamMetrics with one M. So Eric, thanks for taking the time to join me. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, I've been on your website, checked that out a little bit, and it's definitely some fascinating stuff, especially for a hoops junkie like me. But as someone with a surface-level understanding of basketball metrics who did not enjoy math class past, like, ninth grade or so, I need things to be explained to me in very simple terms. So first off, can you kind of explain how this website came to be and um, and then kind of the the methods behind the madness and the algorithms that your evaluations are structured around? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and the performance rankings, that's the stuff you see at my site. And that was designed largely because, you know, I got sick and tired of, of trying to, you know, kind of reading about who are the teams, who are the best teams. And everything was largely based on RPI and wins and losses and things along those lines. I wanted to try to unearth those gems, those diamonds in the rough. And at the same time, I wanted to find those teams that were seated quite high that were very susceptible to defeat. Um, so what you have uh, oftentimes out there is you have teams that have very poor victories and some very nice losses. A good example, I always say, is like North Carolina. If North Carolina were playing on their home floor and they were playing Mississippi Valley State and they won by one, that would be a really awful performance. But from a resume standpoint, you wouldn't see it. You know, people look at it and say, well, they won the game. That's all that matters. For me, I look at it kind of a gray area type of thing where wins and losses are very black and white. I'm much more um, focused on the performance aspect of things, and that's where my performance rankings come in. I look and say, I use, I use one particular team as a constant out there, like say um, Wisconsin played Michigan and Michigan State played Michigan. You can form a, a comparison then between Wisconsin and Michigan State because they, you, you use Michigan as the comparison. And that's what I do throughout the year. As you know, early on, um, the analytics know nothing about those particular teams. Um, they form this opinion as time goes along, and as every day goes along, you have more and more of these comparisons, and you look back and say, how did this team perform against this this particular team, and how did another team perform against them? And then you do a comparison, and that's kind of how you end up finding the best teams from from a performance standpoint as opposed to, say, relying on just wins and losses. Sure, and and diehard college basketball fans, a lot of them use Ken Palm to – formulate their rankings and to kind of that, that'll be one of the uh, bedrocks of the analysis they use. And then more casual fans and, and hardcore fans as well will use what the uh, selection committee or f- at least follow what the selection committee is looking at. And that's RPI. Now they've brought in these quadrant 
based wins this year and how many quadrant one wins do you have? So how does your analysis compare and also differ from kind of some of the main, more mainstream uh, services that college basketball fans like to use? Yeah, you know what? Uh, one of the and, and there are a lot of different analytics folks out there. There's a lot of different bracketologists out there. What my stuff does, as far as I know, what my stuff does differently than everybody else's is, first of all, it um, it uses play-by-play data as opposed to box score data. I think box score data is pretty vague. With play-by-play data, I'm able to latch onto a little bit more information, specifically inside inside the three-point line. Now, everybody knows that you have the three-point shots and inside you have the two-point shots, but sometimes I'm interested. I want to see how they do from, say, 15 to 20 feet out, the, the quote-unquote mid-range shots, as opposed to the teams that score from inside of five feet, which is tips, layups, and dunks. Um, play-by-play data allows me to unlock that information where box score data does not. Most people, from my knowledge, are going to latch onto that box score data. I look at, at play-by-play data. I pull that in via a script. I run some code, and it parses all the information, slams it into a database, and I can break things down from a mid-range standpoint and what I call a near-proximity standpoint. That's one of the advantages of what I do. On top of that, using the, uh, the play-by-play data allows me to determine when a game has been deemed mathematically final, meaning if you're in a game and you lead by 35 with – I don't know, 17 minutes to play in the game, I usually will find a point where I can deem a game mathematically final. At that point, I stop using the game as as any sort of source of data. And the reason I do that is because at that point, um, you know, different coaches start putting their scrubs in, and all of a sudden the performance of the team you're evaluating is not very exact. Um, That's the idea is I want to know who the team is at their very best. So when a game is deemed mathematically final, I throw the rest of the game on the on the trash heap, and I I only use the data that is meaningful to me. Yeah, and it sounds like some of these methods you use, you know, kind of address the criticisms that we see in a lot of uh, the rankings that the selection committee might use, or or some of the the eye test things that people don't, you know, always take into account when you just look at RPI. So I like that you can kind of one way you do that is with the mathematically final aspect of things. Um, but now that you've kind of laid out what your site is all about and and and, ha- and some of the uh, basic tenets of your site. Let's start putting it into a picture that Big Ten basketball fans can look at and and see how uh, the next week and beyond into March Madness is going to play out. So with the Big Ten basketball tournament starting up in a couple days here, um, it's kind of become clear over the last month or so that already four teams will make the NCAA tournament for sure. They're locks, Michigan State, Purdue, Ohio State, and Michigan. And kind of for the last month or so, Penn State and Nebraska were the other two teams in the conversation they actually just played and, and wrapped up a game that uh, tonight we're recording on Sunday and Nebraska won by, I believe, 14. So they're in much better shape than Penn State yep. at this point to make the NCAA tournament. So on your site, you also have a, a bracketology section and, and I was scrolling through it today and Nebraska was, uh, it looked like the first team out on that site. So how do you make your evaluations uh, when it comes to bracketology and what does Nebraska have to do in the Big Ten tournament to secure an at-large bid? Well, I do a little uh, things a little bit differently, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not shy about saying I'm not a big fan of the quadrant system. I was never a fan of the RPI personally, but I think the RPI is actually a little bit more gray area thinking than the than the quadrants. I'm, you know, I I get the idea that the uh, the committee wants to go in the right direction and say, you know, we want to do something a little bit differently. They brought in some consultants from the analytics industry, and they said that's where they came up with the whole quadrants. I'm not a big fan of them because they draw a black line in the sand, and they if you're over this line, you're in the club. If you're 
fault of the line. You're not in the club. I'm not a big fan of that kind of mentality. So what I do with my bracketology is I, you know, I bring in the RPI. I'm not a big fan of the RPI, uh, but it is a, it's an important factor that's used by the selection committee. And I bring it in and I factor it in, but I also factor in not only my rankings, but something on my site called the record quality uh, metric. And that's a, that's a homegrown metric that I created. I, I looked at that and said, how can I evaluate these teams based on record? You know, I have a minimum punishment for every loss, a minimum value for every win. And then I look and, and it uses my performance rankings to determine how good a team is and how instead of relying on the RPI to say, hey, this team is really great or this team is really great, I use my own rankings. And that's where my record quality comes from. So what my um, my bracketology uses is a big mixture. It's a big recipe of my record quality uh, metric, RPI, my performance rankings. And then on top of that, I look at the top 50 um, performance and then bon- what I call bonus wins, Get, you know, wins against the top 25 teams. And I mix all that together, and it's you know, I, with a lot of experimentation, I was able to, hey, I want to put a little bit more weighting on this and less on this. And what I kind of settled on is what you see today. So, yeah, Nebraska was the first team out today. I think they're probably going to be in tomorrow, knowing that UCLA was in today, and they lost earlier today to Colorado, who was number 117 at my site. So, um, yeah, I think Nebraska got a big win. Penn State, a very harmful loss. I think Penn State's in a lot of trouble. And there, there isn't much that Penn State can really do, um, in my opinion, for the rest of the way for them to uh, make it in as an at-large in the, in the, uh, excuse me, the NCAA tournament. So who should Nebraska fans root against in other conference tournaments? It's going to be kind of weird with Big Ten tournament being a week early. You know, these games aren't going to be going on simultaneously. So once uh, they're sitting back on their couch a week after the Big Ten tournament, assuming they do relatively well and are still in the conversation, who should they root against that uh, are in other conferences that are on the bubble? You know, in my opinion, and, and I'm going to, you know, obviously I am one person out there and some people may not agree with what I what I put out there. So you, a good place to look is bracketmatrix.com. There's a lot of other bracketologists like myself who go out there and they contribute to that and they have a kind of a composite uh, ranking system of all the seeds of who's going to make what seed. Um, the ones that jump out to me as far as teams that you probably, that they want to root against, one, one would be USD in the Pac-12. Um, I would look down the list, probably Texas. In the Big 12 would be one of them, as well as Georgia in the SEC and, and Syracuse in the ACC. Those are uh, four of them, I think. Of. Actually, I'll throw in Baylor as well. Baylor's another team that's kind of on the brink. Um, they were a team that suffered a bad loss yesterday, but they're right there as well. So um, I think if you're looking to, for Nebraska to get in the field, you probably got to root against those five teams in their conference tournaments. All right, so before I uh, get into a little bit of discussion about the contending teams and uh, for a NCAA tournament bid, I definitely want to ask you about a team that is on the outside looking in this year. Uh, they've had a down year, but they've been playing better as of late, and that's Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is a team you know very well. They uh, use your services, your your Haslam metrics data um, to help them perform better. And uh, like I said, they've been playing much better as of late. So other than your scouting reports that you've been uh, giving Wisconsin, what do you attribute this late season surge to? Well, I think part of it is that I think of uh, two guys specifically on the outside who are starting to come around a little bit with their shooting, and that's uh, Brevin Pritzel and uh, Brad Davison. Davison today, you saw what he did today. He lit up um, Michigan State for 30 points. Um, 
so I think that that's the problem. When you with Wisconsin, it was always Ethan Happ. Ethan Happ. At one point, you saw him, you know, basically bringing the ball up by himself during the year, and it was a one-man show. And you can't be a one-man show in the Big Ten. And now, finally, you're getting some contributions from other players on on, on the team, specifically Davison and Pritzel. One of the things when I give a scouting report against Purdue. Um, which was one of my favorite scouting reports that really gave me a good feeling because I identified a, a big weakness for Purdue is Purdue was very heavy on the three pointer. And I looked at them and I said, I said to Wisconsin, I said, you know what? You're, you're outmanned. You're outgunned in this situation. They've got you based on talent. But I said, they beat teams with the three pointer. They've got, I think they had at that point, five guys who shot right around 40% from three point line. I said, you know what? If you're going to beat uh, Purdue, Put your heels defensively on the three-point line and force them to beat you in the paint with guys like Haas and Harns. And if you remember in that first meeting back in, I think it was in January, when Purdue played Wisconsin, it was 12-0 in the first two minutes. They hit four threes out of the gates. In that rematch uh, against the Badgers, Purdue shot four of 17 for the game. They only made four shots from behind the three-point arc the entire game. So that was a game-changer. They went out there and they were far more aggressive outside the three-point line forced teams to beat them in the paint. And I think they're kind of continuing that. Obviously, they did not win today, but they're being a little bit more aggressive. They're saying, hey, you know what? We've got guys in the paint who defend well. Hap is one of them. And if we can force teams uh, away from beating us outside the three-point line, we have a chance of beating anybody. Yeah, I should have mentioned at the top, but uh, you you literally give Wisconsin and their staff scattering reports, and they use those to uh, – clearly, you know, they, they followed your advice in the rematch with – Purdue and it worked out in their favor. So that's a cool thing I think to uh you know that teams are doing is reaching out and being open to more of these advanced stats and and uh obviously it's it's something that can serve teams well and I I'd, I'd imagine that uh more teams will be after your services as we move along here. Um before we wrap up, I want to ask about uh you know the top 4 teams in the Big 10 that are going to be NCAA tournament locks and are going to be on the big stage in Madison Square Garden coming up this week. And I want to since you're in the uh, the business of forecasting, I want to get your thoughts on who you think is in good shape, who, who's who's playing well right now, and who you think uh, will not only have success this upcoming week in New York City, but beyond that, who, who's primed for a uh, good run of March basketball? Well, you know what? At one point earlier this year, I was high on uh, on Purdue and Ohio State. I think Ohio State. We, our site had Ohio State in our top 25 long, a long, long time ago. It was right after they beat Wisconsin and Madison by um, – they were up at 1.33 points, I think, in that game with about 12 minutes to play. That was the point where my analytics identified OSU as a really, really great team. Um, people came out a little bit later on, jumped on that bandwagon a little later on after they had beaten Michigan State. Um, and then I think they were right there with uh, Purdue as well. But um, – uh, Ohio State has, has not played their best ball lately, and same thing goes for uh, for Purdue. Both those teams have not played all their best ball. Michigan State seems like a team right now that's really coming on. I like what they've been doing. The other team I really have high hopes for is Michigan. And I love Michigan because Michigan's very similar to what they were last year. They're in a very similar situation. Michigan was hot going into the tournament last year. And, and there were two teams going into the NCAA tournament that we identified as being really hot. One of them was was Michigan. The other was Iowa State. Um, Iowa State, they bowed out in the round of 32, but that's because they, they you know, were down about 20-25 to Purdue, and then they rallied back to tie that game but lost. But Michigan was a team we liked, and Michigan was a team that, you know, came out of that first round, and they provided that seven over uh, the, the seven seed over the two seed. They beat Louisville. 
And darn near beat Oregon. If you remember, Oregon was a Final Four team. They yep. lost by one in the round of 16. Um, Michigan is the same kind of animal this year to me. I look at them and say, you, you got Mo Wagner. He is a, a game changer. Um, Abdul uh, Rockman is another guy who's coming on strong right now. They look very similar to what they were a year ago. So if you told me right now that uh, Michigan's going back to the Sweet 16, I, that would not surprise me whatsoever. All right, so last question for you, Eric, and that's how you quantify that idea of momentum because I, I know I've seen you tweet about it and, and you mentioned teams that are hot and not. H- how do you quantify that idea of, of – it's been like a controversial uh, topic of how, to, how you can possibly qualify that, but how do you personally do it? Oh, as far as momentum, I look at the last – and what I do for every single game is there's an expectation based on where, you're, where your ranking is and who you're playing and where that game is – my analytics come up with a, uh, a game of what's, what's supposed to happen, an expectation of what's supposed to happen. And after that game is over, it looks back and says, well, how did they perform against the expectation? So there's a plus or minus rating. If you go to my site and you click on any team, you can see all the best and worst performances for each team. There's a plus rating and a minus rating. Um, when you're looking at momentum, I just picked eight games. I figured, ah, that's going back about a month, and I want to rate a team's momentum based on how they've played in the last few weeks. So what it does is it takes that average plus-minus rating for the whole season, compares it to the last eight weeks. And if a team is doing much better in the last eight weeks versus the whole season, that's a team that has a lot of momentum. And conversely, if they have a negative rating in the last few weeks versus the whole season, that's a team that's not going to have a lot of positive momentum. So that's one of them I, I take a lot of pride in. A lot of people look at that and go, that's pretty cool. It really identifies who's playing well right now and who, who isn't. Um, and so, they, yeah, that's a, a very meaningful metric for me. All right, Eric. Well, a lot of fascinating stuff. You did a good job explaining it. So even a uh, dummy like me could, could understand uh, <laughs> what, what your site's all about. But definitely everyone out there, check out Haslametrics.com. Uh, especially as we move into March now and, and the most fun time of year. So, Eric Haslam, thanks for joining me, and uh, hopefully we can get you on again soon. Hey, thanks. Have a great day. All right, thanks to Coach Lavin, Scooney Penn, and Eric Haslam for joining me. This is a jam-packed episode full of a lot of good stuff. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording and talking to these uh awesome dudes and and hopefully we get a big 10 tournament uh in new york city that matches kind of the hype and the build-up because i think it's going to be a great tournament with some really solid teams and it's it's primed i think for some really good basketball and some crazy upsets and um who knows what we'll see you know that that i know it's kind of cliche and and we heard it in different forms from different guys in this show even but you know you talk to anyone who as a relationship or or as experienced hoops in that building and it's just different and uh i think this big 10 tournament will have a different feel to it as well in, in, in a good way so um definitely keep it locked on the big 10 network we have 10 games on the btn for this tournament so that's huge for us so uh definitely consume any and all btn forms of uh either tv social media all that because we have a lot of exciting stuff coming out coming at you this week um all right i gotta i gotta go i gotta get to bed i got a flight to new york city in the morning so i'll be out there getting my hands on all the, the content to share with everyone else and i'll be um by the time this drops we'll all be out there and covering uh the tournament as best we can so thanks as always to everyone for listening thanks to wes white for producing the show 
and we'll talk to you soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.